Hello and welcome to After the Bell, a slim down After the Bell. Barry Jones was otherwise engaged. You wouldn't tell us what he's doing, so I'm going to let your imaginations run wild. But you do have myself, Martin Dommer, you do have Declan Taylor, and hopefully this show won't be quite as much of an anticlimax as the fight in Leeds tonight. Josh Warrington bidding for, you know what, I want to just say quickly off the, off the bat, when did it become repeat or redeem? It's surely that, mate, I'm telling it's you, repeat that, or revenge. Who came up with that? That was like, <laughs> what is that? I know it's game change, but, but that, yeah, no, you, don't, you don't change that. That was weird. That was proper weird. I hope they've been that straight away. I'm glad you're in agreement. But actually, in the end, there was no repeat. There was no redemption or revenge. Josh Warrington's uh, rematch with Maurizio Lara over in the second round. Mexican cut over his... Ah, one of his eyes. Left. Uh, it didn't look too left eye. It didn't look too bad uh, at first sight, but then by the time we got back to the corner, it opened up pretty badly. They did their best in the corner, but the doctor ruled that he could not continue, and so Patrick Headingley goes home disappointed. To touch on that fight. There were victories, however, for Connor Ben, who was taken ten rounds by Adrian Granados. Katie Taylor retained her world titles. And probably the story of the night. Maxi Hughes outpointing Giovanni Strafon to continue his quite remarkable last, well, 12 to 18 months. But let's start with the main event of what we got of it, say two rounds in the end. From what you saw, Declan, well, it was shaping up, of course, to be a different fight from, from the one that saw words and stopped in the ninth round. But what did you see differently in those in those six minutes, if anything? That's a good question. I, I don't know. I well, Obviously, yeah, like you say, it was totally different. But then if you really look back on the first fight, we spoke about it before, the, Warrington actually hurt him pretty quick on the first fight. Um, so it wasn't like he was blown away from the off in the first fight either. What I will say is, those, although it was only six minutes of, work, of action there, it seemed like they went on a long time. Like It seemed like a lot happened in those six minutes. I don't know if it was just because of the anticipation or whatever, but it was shaping up to be an absolute barnstormer. Um, both of them were landing. Lara was getting obviously hit more than he was in the first fight, sort of more um, repeatedly, or at least Warrington was having more success than he was having in the first fight. But it wasn't slowing him down at all. So it looked like, and they were having these exchanges. It looked like, you know, at any point, either of them could end up going over. It's just such a shame, isn't it? It's just such an anticlimax at the best of times, let alone when it's on a stage like that after build-up with so much on the line. You just think, oh. and there's nothing anyone can do. There's no, you can't blame anyone. You can't, you can't look at I mean, it was Warrington's head. To be fair, he did use it a few times. It wasn't the first time that Lara had complained about it, but, oh, it's such a nightmare. It's like, because then you're like, well, what do we do now? That's the thing, isn't it? I mean, the, you know, the fight's over. It's, it's an anti-climax. And your first thought is, Okay, fine, that's a nightmare, but let's do it again. But as Eddie Hearn said afterwards, well, hang on, you've got Josh Warrington, who's been in camp for X number of weeks. He's been psyched up for this. He has done six minutes of work. He's in good shape. He's fresh, presumably. Uh, doesn't necessarily want to have a long break and then do another 12-week camp. 
maybe wants to somehow do a shorter camp and then get back into it. And then you've got Lara, of course, who's now badly cut. How long does that take? Does that take the rest of this year, most likely, into next year? Warrington doesn't want to have had just one fight. You, know, you spoke about this last week, about these top fighters fighting once a year now. But at the same time, you, you also don't want this rivalry to go because, as you said, it was shaping in such a good fight. So it's a bit of a conundrum. Yeah. My, my initial feeling with this sort of thing is just everyone move on because like, that cut is so bad just on the look on the face that he won't be able to train again for another, I don't know, three months or something. He won't, you know, he won't be able to do anything with it for two months and then he's got to have a camp and whatever else. But then what does he do instead? And Warrington, you would feel, would feel like he wants to really scratch that itch, so to speak. And then what does he do without him? So then we're just waiting around again for ages. So that that's not only is the whole thing an anti-climax, but the whole thing is just so awkward now. What do you, what do, you do with it? Um, no doubt that if they were to do it again, or and I'm sure they will. I mean, surely they'll do it in some, whether they go to heading, well, they won't, unless it's next summer, which is awful to think that they wait until, you know, the earliest they could do outdoors, maybe April. They did Joshua Klitschko outdoors. So, you know, not out of the question. I'm sure it would sell again, wouldn't it? Because it's no less intriguing of a fight, but are they going to wait around? Are they going to wait around? It's just... What would you do? What would you do if you were in control now? If you were Eddie Hearn, do you carry on? Do you go again or do you find something else for him to do? Do you have a tick over and then go back to it? Well, well, this is the thing. Let, let's Okay, let's assume that there's a fight in between. And I think there will be. From what Eddie Hearn said, and, and given the time, you know, it might be until Lara's ready. What we in start of September. So, yeah, I think Josh Watson fights again this year. The question is, what is what kind of fight? So since he, he lost to Lara, of course, we now have two new... British featherweight world champions uh, in Kid Galahad and in Lee Wood. And the Kid Galahad situation is obviously very interesting because of all, you know, well, they fought once, of course, and then kind of almost maybe didn't quite happen again. And all of a sudden, it's it's not in Josh Warrington's gift to deny him that fight or to offer him that fight. Does Kid Galahad, uh, you know, sort of, does he want to just give Josh Warrington that fight? Does Lee Wood think, mm, do I want to go into a fight of course, it's a winnable fight, but it's also a fight you could lose right away as world champion. Probably not. So I would imagine you'll see Josh Warrington in it. Whether it's a fight to get him into a mandatory position or, or just a, not a takeover fight, but against a better contender, I would imagine this year. rather, oh, yes. And then next year, you know, that sets up. You've got the ladder rematch. You've got a world, a world title fight against another Brit. Well, let's not forget Mauricio Laurel was supposed to be a takeover fight in the first place. So they've had, but you know, we will learn from that. I think you're probably right. They'll have one. They'll have, they'll do something. Whether he just put they, you know, slots on an undercard somewhere. Because as well, I'm sure he won't want to be sitting around again because of what happened last time he sat around for so long. Um, he got beat. So yeah, it's just oh, nightmare, nightmare for everyone. And. It's a funny thing in boxing. There's no one really you can point a finger at because usually you can blame someone, can't you? Have a go at someone, but it just can't. It's just the nature of the sport. Oh, it's just such a stinker, isn't it? Yeah, and I get that's the thing. Like we, we often talk about boxing being different to other sports. So, so if you lose it in boxing, it really is, you know, pretty bad. Not just in terms of losing, but for your future prospects. Whereas in, let's just take football. You know, the next weekend, all right, you can you can come back. And it's again like a cancellation like this. You've 
especially on a night like this. If it just had been behind closed doors, maybe the first fight, right? We'd be like, and we hadn't seen much of, of Lara. Uh, and obviously we hadn't seen him stop Joshua. Everyone would have been like, oh, that's a shame, but nobody was there. He would have won easily. Let's move on. And, and, and you know, we were bigger fights, but it was such a big occasion. Back in Leeds, back outside, a packed card, the zone. And it's, as I say, not only is it, has it been bad tonight, that the prospects of having this again anytime soon, you know, it's a nightmare uh, and we can't even blame any hands. So that's his life. In terms of, you know, what else happened tonight, it was a packed card. A couple of, let's, let's say the two chief support fights, if you like, were one-sided on the scorecards. I just want to talk about Katie Taylor, uh, her victory over Jennifer Han. I know being undisputed world title is important, and she did speak beforehand about keeping hold of the belts, not wanting to give any up. But Jennifer Han had fought once in 18 months, I believe. Uh, yes, she was a, a former uh, world champion at featherweight. But does there not come a time, and is that time not now, where Katie Taylor has to start thinking about legacy and legacy fights, to use those phrases, rather than keeping hold of four belts, which to a lot of people don't necessarily mean too much. Yeah, and this is another one where you're not quite sure where to point the finger because she's been going on about, I mean, you could replay that post-fight interview or, you know, even the pre-fight stuff, the quotes. She said the same thing before the last five fights. She said the same thing after the five fights, that she wants Serrano. She wants a rematch with McCaskill. Well, before that, it was Breakus who had the who had the belts. It's not like she doesn't. Want, it's not like she's scared of these people. I think the problem comes is that they have to pay people like Serrano. They have to pay the names a lot of money. Whereas you could get like Rose Volante when she won the WBO title was, you know, Brazilian. She got a massive payday in, in comparison to her other other fights, but she was still reasonably cheap. Took short money because Taylor's the big name, takes big money. So then you're sort of thinking, well, do we do we need a pay-per-view then for Taylor to fight someone like Serrano? I don't think it's out of the question, actually. Um, I mean, these days it probably would be, you wouldn't, because it'd be on the zone, you would think. But I don't know who's to blame, because that fight tonight, you only had to look at it. And it was, a, you know, I would say a decent fight. Han, or Han is good. Like, she's decent, isn't she? But she's clearly, like, a couple of weights lower is where she's done the business before. She had a baby like seven months ago or something. She barely boxed at all in the last three years, four years. So it was never going to be a good opponent for Taylor. I'm surprised that she didn't stop her, to be honest. And then and then afterwards, she's like, well, I want Serrano, I want McCaskill. McCaskill's in the crowd. So you just sort of... That, the disappointing thing with this is that you thought that the one thing that would not before women's boxing is that the big fights wouldn't happen because it's just like, well, we have to do them because that's all. that's the only way we're going to keep the sport alive. But... There's been so many Katie, potential Katie Taylor fights that haven't happened, big ones, um, that you sort of start worrying about that. Like, I don't know what the situation with Serrano, because that would be huge. I don't know what the situation is really with McCaskill now. They're both on the zone. It should be an easy one to make. Chantel Cameron is boxing super feather. You know, she's going to try and clean up there. So I don't really know. I, you sort of give her, what, what did she box? She boxed, um, oh, their name escapes me, Pursue twice. So two massive fights, one, you know, um, unification fight, undisputed, and then had the rematch, fair enough. Then she boxed Jonas and then Han, you know, so that she sort of has to get a move on again because she had those big ones and now she's had a couple of, Jonas was a good fight and then she had this one. 
couple of free passes. She's not getting any younger. She doesn't seem to be getting better necessarily either. I feel she's an outstanding. She's still an unbelievable fighter, but she needs someone really good to, to bring the best out of her. And I'm just, it's just a bit flat on that one tonight. And it's nothing against her. It's just the opponent came to 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 survive. Mm. I'm no expert on, on on the finances of boxing, and certainly not on the, on the finances of female boxing. But Amanda Serrano fought last weekend on the, the Jake Paul card. She was paid. I know it's her purse. I'm sure there may have been additions to this. It was $75,000. It doesn't seem like an insurmountable amount of money. Of course, she'd want more for Katie Taylor. But, you know, how much of a gap is there going to be? Uh, Eddie Hearn talks about it again, doing it in Madison Square Garden. Now, is that worthwhile of, of headlining the event? Yes. Can you not pack that event with, or pack that card with, with enough of a support? Uh, I guess without spending too much money, but to make sure... It brings people in again, as you said. You've got the issue of pay-per-view against the zone now. Is that going to bring in subscribers, which is presumably all they care about? I'm not sure. I just I struggle to really believe that that fight can't be, or, or indeed any fight can't be made if it, if it really is what. And actually, well, when was it? Now it was supposed to happen. It was last week, wasn't it? Before. Hmm. Yeah. It was the it was the first first lot of fight camp, was it? That they they that's right. Yeah. Done the deal. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think, like you say, I mean, who knows? There's some, something somewhere keeps falling down, keeps breaking down, and Serrano will blame the other side. You know, Taylor will, will blame Serrano. You're right, there'll be a number somewhere. Everyone's got a number. It's just whether they want to go for it. And that might be why we're seeing um, Katie Taylor against Jessica Hahn, for instance, because it's like, sorry, Jennifer Hahn, because it's like um, she'll take the smaller money and then Taylor can get the big money and... And then we all move on. She wins again. But you're right. What I will say, though, in, in her defence is when you say about her legacy, I don't think she can be blamed for that. I don't think she's to blame at all. She's not the one that's ducking anyone or or swerving anyone. They're, they're looking at it from a business perspective as much as anything. And she she would fight all of them. And she says it constantly. But somewhere, somewhere it's breaking down. And it's it's annoying because she's such a trailblazer and she could be doing unbelievable things, more, even more unbelievable things for the sport. Like that Serrano fight would be colossal. McCaskill rematch would be massive as well. Either of them in, in New York would be great, but so it's, an, it's another one. And it's annoying because we speak about it in men's boxing all the time. It's, it's horrible to have to talk about it in women's boxing as well. You're right. Hopefully, as you said earlier, she's not getting any younger. Hopefully, uh, sense will prevail with Katie Taylor and with AN other that we want to see. Another victory for Conor Ben on the undercard, moving to 18-0 with victory over Adrian Granados. Not a fight which sparked, which really ever took off, uh, certainly not as, as Ben and, and his team expected. Granados only lost really at the top level before now. I wonder though, listen, I'm sure it's difficult if you expect a fighter to come and, and to trade and to, to get into that situation and it doesn't, then I'm sure you've got to adapt. But is Conor Ben, and yes, he's still young-ish, he is young, still learning. Is he able to adapt enough to fights that maybe don't go the way he wants them to go? Um, I don't know. And it's a tough one to judge that one because it wasn't as if he had to adapt under any sort of duress. That, and that's the real mark of someone, you know, if they're, in, under pressure or hurt or something, they have to make an adapt. And then they have to adapt because really it was working because he was winning every round. Okay, he wasn't cutting him off. There were a few little thing, moments in there that were sort of a bit concerning, like he, he did a full 360 when he missed with a left hook and stuff like that. But that's just that's just 
Ben, kind of. I think we got to look at that Vargas fight or that result as a little bit of an anomaly. I don't think he's going to be blowing people away in, in a round necessarily. He, he, caught, he might catch people cold. He caught Vargas cold. You just had no, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't knocked out or anything. It was just like a blizzard of punches. Um, it was never really going to happen to Granados like that, but I thought Granados, I didn't realise he was that tough anymore. I thought he was basically over the hill. Um, and he moved around. It was a lot of quite like sort of subtle defences, a lot of the sort of Canelo looking away from the shot to, to take the heat off it and stuff like that. I, I was quite impressed with him, the way he moved around and the way he nullified Ben. Um, when you look at his record, you know, he'd gone distance with Robert Easter Jr. about 18 months ago and stuff like that. He was, he was never going to be a knockover. And to be honest, I think this could be good, 10 good rounds for Conor Ben. Um, it wasn't the result that people wanted or expected, particularly not the sort of casual boxing fan, the casual Conor Ben fan. But when you look at his career as a whole, this is about it's about right. He, you know, he went the distance with Sebastian Formella as well. You know, he's not he's not absolutely thundering people into the floor every time he touches them. So, yeah, I'm interested now whether they do make the Brona fight because that would be great fun, wouldn't it? And I mean, what a good sort of measuring stick. But then if you look at Brona now, what's he do? like? What's he really doing? Is he gonna you know, is he going to make welterweight anytime soon? Is he boxing? Is he even in the gym? I don't know. So it's a kind of weird one to pluck out of the air if there's nothing in the water there. But I hope it is because it'd be, you know, it'd be a great fun. It'd be great fun build up and a fight. Definitely, and, and it's a good question. What is Adrian Broner doing? So I mean, since what we in now, 2021. So in four years, four years ago, he lost to Mikey Garcia. Then he drew with Jesse Vargas. Lost to Manny Pacquiao. Two and a half years ago, that was now, and most recently fought in February, uh, outpointing Giovanni Santiago. So, I mean, listen, as you said, you can't surely ever pin your hopes on Adrian Broner agreeing to a fight, training for a fight, turning up for a fight. But I guess the point is that is the level at which Conor Ben is aiming, and I suppose we shouldn't we shouldn't forget just how far he's come as well. Uh, you know, he probably is arguably our at least our most recognisable next potential star, right? In terms yeah. of people know him, uh, recognise him and relate to him. But I guess Adrian Broder, that sort of level is what's next. I mean, I think it'd be a great fight for him. I think it'd be a great, it's a, it's a kind of crossover fight. People love when an American, you know, when a Brit fights an American who will chat a bit and he'll, he'll wind him up and stuff. It'd be, it'd be good fun. I just, I'm not sure what Broner's doing. And I, um, what it does mean is he's definitely getting steered away from the guys that are in Britain and we've spoken a lot about that already and there's some good guys deserving fights there and like you would look like Mikey McKinson would look, would have looked at that tonight and been like well if Granados is deserving of a fight like that then I am um, and it's hard to argue with that that would be a really interesting fight for me because McKinson's so awkward and so slippery like you said right at the start when we were talking about Ben you know is he good enough to make adjustments? How does he adapt? How do you adapt to someone where you can't really hit him at all? Like he was struggling to hit Granados, who was, you know, circling around, but he couldn't he couldn't cut off the ring. Darren Barker said it in the in the sort of um, analysis in between rounds that he just wasn't cutting off the ring, just following him round constantly. McKinson, slippery, totally different sort of fighter, real puzzle. That'd be great fun. And that in terms of okay, great fun, maybe not as a spectacle, but very interesting test for Conor Ben, another one. But Maybe, maybe if they don't get the Broner fight, they'll look for that because he'll be screaming for the rooftops for it. And I'd love to see that. I think McKinson deserves it. Oh, you definitely can't argue 
that he doesn't deserve it. But I think everything that Eddie Hearn said, uh, not necessarily tonight, I, I didn't hear, but in previously it's been, it's about America, right? It's, I, I wouldn't be surprised, in fact, if Conor Ben fights in America next. That just seems to be, and you can understand why, the name, the style, when it when it gels, that just seems to be their uh, target. I mean, look at David Avenition, finally does have a fight now, uh, to be fair, but another one who was just never really mentioned, but, you know. Well, there, there was a, a rumour, or was it Neil Marsh or someone had tweeted that Eddie Hearn or Matchroom had actually requested that, that he drop the European title so Ben could box for it. So that idea that it's America or nothing is, I think, is a bit of a fallacy. And when you, you know, what is he, 24, 20, 25, or he's young, isn't he? He's got a lot of time left. He's got a lot of learning to do. Why not go and learn against McKinson in Britain? Won't horrible, awkward southpaw that you can't pin down. Go and fight him. And then... What you're going to learn from that and then that's what you take on because that's the problem at welterweight we've spoken about it again before is that you can beat these guys you can blow away sammy vargas and beat adrian granados it's a massive massive leap from this tier to the top guys like it's beyond like beyond comprehension right now that he goes and boxes terence crawford or errol spence or even sean porter and then the the prospects in america jaron ennis may be the best maybe the most talented boxer on the planet right now and you've got Virgil Ortiz, unbelievable prospect, probably beyond the prospect now. So they're not even at the top tier of welterweight yet. They're, they're very close to it. They need some middle fights. And I don't see what the problem with McK but But the, when, you, when, he, when they picked Formella as that opponent that time, that showed that there was a different idea towards a promotion and towards his learning and his development. And it wasn't necessarily... Michael McKinson, Chris Congo, or you know whoever it was who was floating around in this country, they were going a different route, and it will probably stay the same. But there might be a time when they they think actually no, let's let's do that. Um, McKinson's obviously in the in the stable as well. Eddie always says winner stays on, and he keeps winning. So I'm banging a drum for that fight. If they it, Broner would be fun, um, and it would have massive value to him in and out of the ring. But if they can't make it, and there's a lot of chances that they won't. Give it to Mikey. The problem. Yeah, you, you're absolutely right. I think ultimately, as as so many things do in boxing, it comes down to Eddie Hearn's got his promoter hat on. You've got your hmm, not. I wouldn't want to say boxing. Just like uh, the pure boxing hat on. You know. You know what I yeah. mean. Like you want to see it because of the styles. And ultimately, how often do those? How often can you wear two hats? Not. 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 Perhaps not as often as as we'd like. I suspect. You know. You may well be disappointed once again, but I agree. It doesn't make we'll business sense necessarily, does it? Because it might not be a great spectacle. It's not going to really drive subscribers, and then you might end up with your second biggest star, arguably getting beat by Southport on points. So you're right. There's three reasons there why it won't happen. But what's the point of this sport if if the people <laughs> who are winning aren't going to get the chances eventually? They can't. You know they're there's caveats and then there's caveats, but you're you're probably right, sadly. But that is rare, to be honest, that you're ever right. So I'll give you that one. <laughs> Where's Barry Jones? Yeah, back. get him back. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to to finally touch, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Maxi Hughes outpointed Giovanni Strafon, who of course should be familiar to British fight fans for his stoppage of James Tennyson earlier this year. Uh, let's just run back through Maxi Hughes. In 2019, he was beaten on points by Liam Walsh and then returned a few months later to a points win 
over four rounds. Since then, John O'Carroll on points, Viktor Kotorchikov, hmm, that's the one, in Dubai on points, Paul Helen Jr., eighth round stoppage, and then, you know, really dominated uh, Strafon in Leeds still tonight. Uh, I mean, first of all, it was a great uh, example of a fighter who took advantage of lockdown, essentially. He was available, he fought. But now, we're out of lockdown, of course. He is a Yorkshireman, I believe. Uh, he's just continuing to be, I mean, a man who is winning and staying on, as you said, being given these opportunities, taking them with both hands. And just a really, it's a great story, but also clearly a man going places. Yeah, completely. And I think it's um, it's always heartening to see. And it's a bit like with Lee Wood as well, that you can get beat a couple of levels lower and still you know, it's not the end of you. Like you mentioned there that he lost to Liam Walsh. Didn't he lose to Scott Cardle as well? I remember him losing to Scott Cardle years ago. I remember correctly, I might be wrong there, but um, no, you know, you're not wrong. 2013, 2013, you know, eight years, what were we there? eight years ago now that he lost to Scott Cardle, and he's back. And like, I just think it's great, it's a good sort of advert for the sport Max uses anyway because he's hard working, honest. What a performance that was, as well! Absolutely, I tweeted, he just did a job on him, absolute pinpoint to the you know, game plan. We you know, good job Barry's not here because he doesn't like a game plan, but they had a game plan. They stuck to it. It was a pretty basic one, but I'd say basic. I mean, it wasn't basic, but it was a uh, straightforward what he had to do to win and he executed it to perfection. It's funny as well, because we spoke about when when Warrington got beaten by Lara in the first fight, Reese Mould in the camp had got knocked out that night, gone back to the dressing room, you know, had that had an effect and stuff. This time, Maxi Hughes had done that and gone back into the dressing room. You see him hugging Warrington before. Obviously, we don't, we didn't get to see what effect that would have had on him. But you know, he did his job for the stable, so to speak. Um, and it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy, more honest pro. Um, and you just have to re-look through that record to see that it's it's been step up and step up and step up and step up. Managed brilliantly. Um, he's done his job. Whatever's asked of him, always available. He was he was knocking around the bubble actually the Lara for the Lara first fight he's just around he's around and he's fit and I mean that was the IBO title and you know not you know it's not the it's a it's lightly regarded it's not a world title but it's a tough division isn't it at the top but he's doing what he needs to do to to sort of be always be in the conversation and always be. You can't ignore him. You can't ignore what he's done. Even since in the like over, since losing eight years ago to Scott Cardle, just keeps coming back. I just love it. I love it. that sort of thing with all the bad stuff in boxing and what a week it's been. What a horrendous week it's been for boxing and boxing fans. But that sort of thing is the sort of thing that just keeps that fire burning a little bit. You think this is what sports all about. Maxi Hughes is the epitome of it. Hats off to him. Absolutely. You, you mentioned. Division, the lightweight division, of course, it doesn't need us to say how how tough it is. But you do have Evan Haney, who seemingly cannot get an opponent for love nor money. Now, yeah. Does Devin Haney against Maxi Hughes sell? Maybe not. But listen, at some point, Devin Haney has got to fight. He's not going to fight any of the other champions at the moment. We kind of, And you know Maxi Hughes is surely going to jump at that opportunity. You imagine it's going to be in the States, uh, both with the zone, you know, Stranger things have happened. 
it's funny because we you often say that you often not you but one often looks at someone like Max Hughes and goes well why would Devin Haney want to fight him like he's not a big enough name but then if you look at Devin Haney's opponents for the most part you barely heard of them they're not you know they're not names or styles or draws or anything it's about Devin Haney so you're right someone like Maxi Hughes who's you know boxing on matchroom shows and with Eddie Hearn uh loosely I don't know if it's an official connection there I'm not sure if any of them are really but you know he's in the he's in house so to speak um why not why who else would, like like you say Devin Haney it's not like they're people are crawling over the glass to fight him but Maxi Hughes definitely would that would be he does I think he deserves it I mean would you give him a chance at Devin Haney jury's out what a test it would be for Devin Haney because he's only young looks like a superstar in the making but Someone like Maxi Hughes is going to put it on him, and he's going to make it hard for him. And I'd love to see it. And I think I think he deserves. How can you how can you even argue that he would deserve that? So I'm sure someone somewhere will. But why not? You're right. You're right. There's one fight for him. It's a shame because it's such a mess. Actually, at lightweight, doesn't seem to be getting any clearer. But someone like someone like Maxi Hughes, or there's plenty of them out there. Boxers like Maxi Hughes just don't care. Just keep plugging away. Keep plugging away. Forget all that, and something will fall into their lap. Um, Straffon, let's not forget, he knocked out Tennyson. You know, he wasn't supposed to win that fight necessarily. And then Hughes has just done that to him. Just superb. Unbelievable. And what? And I, th- I feel like the Ben fight fell a bit flat in the end. The Taylor fight was a bit, well, it was very, very one-sided. It was, you know, it was a shutout with a knockdown. And then the main event was a nightmare. That Maxi Hughes fight injected something. That It was just an injection of some real, like a real story on the card. And, um, Hopefully he's like he's repaid for that and he's rewarded for that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't. Uh, we're just going to going to bring this to an end shortly. I'm, I'm just double checking the schedule for next weekend. What we definitely do have is Sonny Edwards defending his flyweight world title against Jason Mama in London. Callum Johnson, Denzel Bentley, also on that card. Uh, I don't know whether I want to mention the fact that Evander Holyfield. I believe it's now official. It's making his return uh, to professional boxing as long as they can get that sanctioned. I think they're I moving it from... It. No? I think... I can't remember who I saw tweeting it. Someone tweeted, someone who with decent um, you know, sources or someone I would usually trust, I can't remember who it was off the top of my head, basically tweeted it can't happen. It can't happen in America anyway or something like that. You know, they're not, no one's going to sanction it. Um, let's I mean, not rule it out. Well, this is the thing. Why it's and what I should say, he was going to step in for or will step in for Oscar De La Hoya to take on uh, UFC legend Vitor Belfort. But the fact that we are even considering that that might be a sanctioned fight, uh, you seem to have the up to date information. At one point, they thought they could move it from California to Florida to, to get that, but if not, then sense prevails. But incredible, really, uh, that we're considering on a week's notice. I'm sure Evander Holyfield's in good, good condition, but at a week's notice that we would allow him to come back to fight a, essentially a non-boxer, a combat athlete, yes, uh, but a non-boxer, said, sort of says a lot about where the sport may be at the moment. That was just mad, wasn't it? Like the whole, the, the week's been crazy with the Oscar Valdez thing and, you know, and then Oscar De La is doing a video from a hospital bed saying he's got COVID and you just think like, what? You just kind of, I don't know, the mind boggles. You try not to think about it too much, but mad. Holyfield stepping in would be madder. And like I always say, I don't like to have a go at anyone trying to make a few quid, and I'm sure he would do, but 
I am watching it. And I haven't even mentioned David Hay against Joe Forney, which is now no longer at least a sanctioned fight. California, California to be honest, do seem to at least have, have, uh, have the David, right idea. David, that David Hay could fight um, your man, UFC guy. Well, it would be a better fight. So, in conclusion, we will be back next weekend. It may or may not be to talk about those fights, but we'll certainly talk about Sonny Edwards' defence of his world title. And if if Barry's not busy or got other plans, yeah, then be, hopefully... We might be able to see what he's been up to this weekend. Maybe he's going to have to come out <laughs> with a tan or something, or a tattoo on his face. We'll see. But... We can but hope. But thank you for joining us. Until next time, do take care. <laughs>